Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind. Myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focused on all four Irish provincial sides in the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province in upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. And because it is getting towards that time of the year, we will be discussing some of the Six Nations stories as well. So, Jeff, what have you been up to this week? I got a new phone and... I've realized just how many apps I don't know the password for. So um, even my banking app there today, I went to go into it, realized it wasn't set up and I was like, oh, forget it. I just won't buy it. Like my, even last night I went to log into Instagram and thought, I actually thought I knew my like handle. I don't know what you'd call it. Username, I suppose. Uh, it turns out I don't because I put in what I thought was my username and I was like, oh, what I thought was my password or whatever. And next thing, a photo popped up of a guy who was not me saying, we have just sent a text to this phone ending in whatever number saying like, you know, you'd like to change your password. And I was like, oh, that's not me at all. This guy thinks he's getting hacked. But uh so if you're also if you're also named Jeff Neville and you thought you were getting hacked last night, just know it was an honest mistake. But um, yeah, like everything, like I just don't know the password to any app that I have downloaded on my phone. So I'm living that nightmare right now. So apart from that, not much. Now, I was uh, down in Limerick on Saturday night and got absolutely soaked to the skin. Um, saw Noah on the way home. Um, <laughs> he was he, he was building the ark as I was going down there by uh, John's Castle. It you was, saw me uh, as well. and uh, uh, that's true. Actually, I did. I bumped into Tom for a while. We we had a quick chat before he went back to the upper echelons of the press box with the free food and everything else that went with it. I actually didn't get free food this time. They had burritos, and I fumbled them. Tom, your voice is oh, no. so sexy tonight. It's like I know. velvet thunder. I know. We need we need to rate this as 18s over. Just just velvet for my voice. Thunder. Velvet thunder. This is the first time all three of us have been on in a while. Uh, I'd say since like it's November. It's been a long while, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would genuinely say Novemberish, to be honest with you. I've been getting like my, my week has been uh, yeah. basically just getting disappointed at rugby matches, <laughs> um, and <laughs> then just being sick, um, gargling gravel, stones, small bits of sticks, and bits of briars that I found, um, and it's had an effect. I haven't been able to swim as often as I would have liked in the last while. You don't forget though, like it's not like like learning to play piano or something and you forget oh, how for, to play for, for, for me it is no i think you'll be okay I'm, I'm very like my my level of knowledge like if i have to learn how to swim properly i'll have to forget how to do something else <laughs> so i just hope it's nothing important <laughs> <laughs> only so much information there's only so much can fit in here but the swimming in i don't know like talking <laughs> comes out forget how to drive yeah <laughs> Who who was it? I'll go off on one of these rants. Was it uh, Cliff Clavin from Cheers used to have the thing about alcohol and brain cells, where he said, you know, or the buffalo um, or something, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, but alcohol is it like pins out the herd, so it goes after the weaker brain cells. So it actually alcohol that's how it makes you smarter (laughs) because it takes away all those weak sort of brain cells and leaves just the strong to remain. Right, so I think we better move on then and actually cover some rugby. We'll start, uh, we'll go through the, the timeline from the weekend. Connacht uh, played Bristol on Friday night. They were 27-10 winners. Um, red card was really the turning point in the game. Um, Connacht were good. The most That was a shocking red card you'll ever see in your life. And you have grown men adults trying to pretend that, that was accidental <laughs> like 
come on. But even, have you even seen if how the human body works? Even if it was accidental, um, for those of you who aren't on this call with the only three people actually on it won't have seen the hand signal I just did. But even if it was accidental, it's still reckless. Like it's still a red card. And if it's reckless, deemed a like foul play, like it can't be an accident. Like it just yeah, doesn't make sense. I don't know. It's just like I see that kind of stuff and I'm like, look, the human body doesn't really work that way. So look, fair enough. Look, it happens in games, to be honest. Nobody would seriously hurt. But it was a red card. And there should have been a ban attached to it. But that's the game we play now. Yeah, I, I think... I, I'm not sure it was intentional. I think he, he got a boot in the face at the same time he was trying to place his feet. I think um, it's there. But I, I agree, it's a red card. It's reckless. He, you know, he should, be, he should be looking at a ban for that. Particularly if rugby's going to try and sort itself out a bit in the way um but it's a bit like this it, to me it, it, I, i'm pretty sure he didn't intend to go do you know what i'm gonna just put my boot right into finley Beelham's face there caress his face with my boot but like it it just it it, it looked bad and it looked like if he was going to, to give him a shoeing that's what it would have looked like so I don't know. Like I just think you know what you don't want to see fellas banned for fucking the whole season or whatever. I think if he'd gotten a, a three game ban, I think people would have been fair enough. Nobody's looking for the fella to be banned for months and months. But yeah, I just I just felt to me it was something that probably should have seen a bit of a ban because they accepted that it was a red card or that it was foul play. And if it's foul play, then it has to be a red card, which means it has to be a ban. It's pretty much it that's how i stand yeah i'm i'm similar i think it, for me it was the it was the turning point in the game i mean bristol they ran some shapes they they try but they they never really threatened fully uh connacht were were comfortable enough in that um without being overly impressive either i would say um they ran out comfortable enough winners but you know They've had, that was Connacht's only win out of the pool. They finished fifth, qualified for the Challenge Cup. Um, but they've taken a couple of heavy hits along the way in terms of, you know, um, Saracens and Bordeaux. Um, I think, not to, not to be down too much on Connacht, but I think that's that's their level. Once once they go up against the big boys like that, they're they're going to get hit badly. Um, and that's that's just a, the story of the sort of the budgets and the the level that they're at. And while Connacht are doing stuff to close that down, it's the reality of where things stand at the moment. Um, I think um, I, I think the Challenge Cup, like last year, we talked about that last year when they were in the Challenge Cup and they gave it a good crack bar one mistake. We won't get into it, but the I think it's like win it. Like go win it, get a trophy. And I we'll probably talk about this with Ulster later on, like, but you know, saying, Oh, Challenge Cup would be good to get a trophy, and maybe some people say, Oh, well, it's the only it's only the Challenge Cup, blah, blah, blah. But like a trophy's a trophy, first off. And secondly, when Leinster were competing heavily in Europe and winning in Europe, didn't they win a Challenge Cup on that path as well? They did. So I mean, not you know, it's not to be sniffed at, like. And I looked at it, didn't did it to the start no, of the I, I, But at the same time, it was still a trophy that they lifted, that they have, that you know made that season a success. So for both Connacht and for for Ulster, that's the one or the other tournament that they can win. So absolutely, it'd be fantastic for both to win. I I think for for Connacht, it's power uh, away. Depend, depending on how they go, they have they have prioritized the URC already in within their, their season. Um, they played Beelham and Aki over the Christmas period rather than put them into a, um, the Champions Cup games. Um, I could see them putting a bit of a mixed team out for that and prioritizing getting back into the Champions Cup next season because it's worth it for us. 
say uh, season ticket sales it's worth it in terms of whatever um gate money you'll get in i think it's worth it that they prioritize top eight and getting into playoffs in the urc rather than trying to run on both sides of that competition which i don't think they can i don't think they have the squad for that at the moment to do a, a challenge on for both competitions and i think that's going to be the bigger challenge for them At this, yeah, uh, like they, um, w- how far do you think they'd get in the URC compared to Challenge Cup though? Got to semi-final last year. I think they can get sort of, yeah, they got to semi-final. I think they can definitely get top eight, get a quarter-final in there, play, play again there. I'm not saying they get a home quarter-final or anything like that, but they, they can get a quarter-final. And as they've, as they've shown, like they, once off games, they have a, a setup that's, designed to play on hard ground like similar to, to Munster you know and we can talk about that later but I mean like they're designed to play in that and on a one-off game they can up it you know they they have the ability to do that they can give someone a rattle you know I don't think a quarter-final semi-final is is out of the out of the realms of possibility in URC level um and is more important for next season than it is, particularly if you're going to sign players or you you want to get that budget there. You have to be attracting the the top players. If you're if you're going into Challenge Cup next season, starting off in that pool stage, that's a different thing. Yeah, it's totally different. It's totally different. A lot less attractive when it comes to getting players in. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on then to Ulster who lost 47-19 away to Quinns. Um, this was Ulster's third big defeat of the Champion Cup uh, pools. They lost 37-14 away to Bath, and they lost 48-24 at home to Toulouse. And then obviously the, the uh, this one at Quinns, they're conceding an awful lot of points. The, and while things had looked to turn around with the wins against Racing and in the RDS, it's it's hard to know exactly where Ulster are at the moment. Well, I think, again, in their Challenge Cup, now that they're in it, like, go win it. Like, you know, you talk about... You talk And, like, I know they're away to, to Montpellier, like, but going away to Montpellier shouldn't pose any more of a challenge like in a mental challenge than going away in the champ in the challenge or in the champions cup like if if you fully believe you can go away and win the challenge or the jesus i'm mixing these up now if you firmly believe you can go away and win the champions cup then what's the difference now of having to go away to montpellier in my eyes you still have the same squad you still believe you can be successful etc you just go on and win it. And again, it's not the, it's, it's not the competition. They probably thought they wanted to challenge in this year. Like, I mean, let's be honest, they probably wanted to challenge in the champions cup and will look to challenge in the URC. But now that you're in the challenge cup, like just go win it or go compete and take it seriously. And again, we've talked about Ulster for the last couple of seasons, needing to win silverware at some level. Again, like, if Ulster, with the squad they've had over the last couple of seasons, end another year without silverware, I mean, surely, surely, like, there's a word I'm looking for and I can't grasp it, but, like, it's, it's underperforming massively, given the talent they have. Like, you look at their backline, you look at their pack, they're a very, very good team, but just can't get over the line. Like, you look at that semi or that quarterfinal last year against Connacht at home, didn't fire a shot, didn't fire a shot in that whole game. And you're thinking, Jesus, Ulster could, even though they had ups and downs, could challenge this season. Well, they're having their downs now again. Why not just refocus and say, look, we have a good shot here at winning silverware, Challenge Cup, it's not Champions Cup, Challenge Cup. And even if you go back to, was it last year, around maybe November last year, like Munster fans were talking about the Challenge Cup. And it would be good to win something just to get this, I suppose, trophyless year off the back. I I think just Ulster, yeah, so watcher in the Challenge Cup. 
go win it. Go compete in it. Like you have the squad and you have the ability. And to be fair to Ulster as well, I, I think they like I, I think that they have like the, the 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 three teams that they've played in Europe have been really difficult. Like away to Bath is no joke. Um, to lose obviously are an incredibly dangerous team. Beating Racing was a, a credible win. Um, and losing to Harlequins away from home, there's no mad shame in that either. Um, they'll obviously have higher higher standards for themselves, and they'll they'll want to have done better, obviously. But going into the Challenge Cup and having a right rattle off that, which I think they 100% can. Um, if they were to win that and nothing else this season, that would make this season a success for me, from an ultra standpoint. I'd I'd make that a massive success. I, I don't disagree with any of that. I, <clears throat> I, I'd love to see Ulster go on and win this, but I think you have to look back and sort of question: Is that a possibility because of the roller coaster ride in terms of performance and results that they get? And you look at the history that's there. They're what four, five years, maybe more under McFarlane now in terms of the the project, the rebuild. It's not like they're in the early stages of this. They're in the win-now stage. Um, the performances aren't in there. You could even say that the coaches have changed because you you look at the, the not so much the head coach, but you look at the assistant coaches. There's been quite a bit of turnover even within that. So like, the, and the performances year on year haven't changed that much. They've been up and down. Ulster have been, have the ability probably better than anyone else to come down to the RDS and hit into Leinster, take away wins. We've seen that. And they can they seem to be able to do and get these one-off performances. But then when it comes to the bigger games, when it comes to the knockout games, and it's whether it be Challenge Cup, Champions Cup, whether it be... Because where, where did they lose? Was it um, Leicester Tigers? They lost in the Challenge Cup. Was it last year yeah. or the year before? Right, you know, they you go to the URC. They've they've been beaten by Connacht at home. These are games that you would expect if you're a team that is serious about winning silverware. These are the games you would want to win. And you talk, we talk about, you know, the level of players that they have, the Hendersons, the backline, the the kids officers now been brought in the URs. These guys, these are these are quality players. So something there is not gelling, and having the likes of. Dan McFarland coming out and saying that training is sloppy, training isn't good enough. Now he he got he got a, a sort of a pickup on that, and they they got the results. I think was it to to beat Connacht, to beat Racing, and then they beat Leinster, and now suddenly it's gone again. So is the problem that the training is gone again? That the standards aren't there? And at the I I keep saying this, at the end of the day, it's a lot easier to change a coach than it is to change all the players within your squad. And I think at this point, I think either Lent or either Ulster go and win silverware at the end of this year, or you're you're looking at something of something has to change. And the only thing that the only thing that's left there is is really to get rid of the head the head coach or you have to get rid of a huge chunk of the players to go win it at see at senior level. That's not to make it almost, um, not to make it almost football like, but like McFarland has been under pressure for a while now, and I don't think it's even like win silverware at the end of the season. I think it could maybe get into a situation where it's like a couple of bad losses on their own. Like from now on, like you're just going to see more and more pressure. Like now, I don't think the only team I can remember who got rid of a, a head coach mid um, or during the season. The only one I can think of is uh, over in Leicester when they got rid of, um, what was your Richard man's Conroe. name? No, uh, Matt. Um, maybe it's not even Matt. He used to coach Leinster as well. Matt O'Connor. Yeah, Matt O'Connor. Like they, fought, they, they sacked him, was it one game into the new season or something like that? Um, a couple of years ago. Now, I can't really think of anybody else who during season they got rid of it. It's definitely happened, but I can't remember. But like, there's huge pressure on to win. They're like, look at their squad. They have a quality squad. It's like they've been backed with 
dispensation and money to bring in the likes of Stephen Kitchoff on pretty big wages. Um, so it, it, it does feel that there's a, you have to win something this year. I feel if you're Dan McFarland, there has to be progress. And for Ulster, the only thing that counts is progress for me at, at this stage is lifting a trophy. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Um, as you discussed, uh, Ulster finished fifth in their pool and now qualified for the Challenge Cup. They play Montpellier away. Montpellier, bottom of the top 14. Um, not going to be too interested in Europe, but like I imagine like most French teams aren't don't want to lose at home. So I think it's an opportunity for Ulster to to at least get past that round and from there on anything is possible but with Ulster anything is, is possible as well both the good and the bad um, moving on then to Leinster who beat Leicester 27-10 in Welford Road um, last minute bonus point try from Kenneth Doris um, changed the complexion of the, the scoreline a little bit but I don't think Leinster were ever in any real trouble there. Leicester went ahead quite early in the in the game, but um once Leinster got into their sort of rhythm, they, they were able to to control it as the, as they needed to. Um what did you make of the game, Jeff? Um yeah it was I suppose from a Leinster point of view, just seeing them go ahead and finish the job, you know, go undefeated in the pool stage. I think Caelan Doris is a guy, I think I tweeted it afterwards, like, but like his stock is already so high and then he it just continues to rise. Like, I think I refuse to pick a team or a squad or anything like that, but like, would he be your nailed on eight for a Lions tour tomorrow? Like, absolutely. Um, but yeah, Leinster looking good. Again, though, we say it all the time. Pool stages are done. It's knockouts. It's silverware. And funnily enough, Leinster a team with, you know, um, after losing Lancaster, so you've Nina Bar come in, but you'd still expect them to lift silverware this season, like be it URC or Champions Cup. You can, I don't think, you know, a, a, you can talk really coaching transition there because there hasn't been a massive overhaul. Um, you've Goodman back as well, like in in the mix for this season. I know he's off to Ireland at the end of the season as well, but it's um, or when is he joining Ireland? It's not now, is it? It's in the at summer. the end of the season, isn't it? Yeah, at yeah, the yeah. end of the so, yeah after the, the current summer. season. Yeah, yeah. So like it's um, you know, I I think they're in. They're also very much in a win now territory. I think be it URC or. Uh, Champions Cup I think they'll probably prefer the Champions Cup over the URC to be honest with you um, because I think a team that size that's where you measure your success is in Europe and again last two seasons they've lost by what like two kicks of a ball you know um, in, in, in in the last game so it's uh, they're, I think they're very much win now in Europe as well it's going to be interesting to see how they approach I suppose the business end of the URC season while balancing that but I suppose to get back to your initial question yeah they were very good against Leicester weren't they <laughs> I don't know yeah, where I was going with that sorry <laughs> I, I think like it just shows like that they've got the power to put away a kind of a, a team like like Leicester who are aspiring to be on Leinster's level but who aren't anywhere near it at the moment like they have elements of their game that might hurt Leinster for a bit, but not over a full 80 minutes. I thought Leinster were very impressive, very physical. Um, and in the end, it was like, it looked like a while that, that the bonus point had gotten away from them. But, you know, at the same time, were you shocked to see them go over and score? No. Um, they. I don't think they've blown anybody away in the same way that we'd say La Rochelle have had outstanding performances like Bordeaux have had but there's a toughness there with Leinster a very a difficulty to see them being beaten um, like where you know they've got a tough enough draw actually 
out of it. Strangely enough, having you know, seeing how well they you know they won all four games, um, they got a tough enough draw as a reward, I think, because um, I think Leicester, depending on how the Six Nations goes for for Leinster, you know, a few guys are missing for that game. Maybe you know who knows. There's lots of attrition to come in the Six Nations. Um, that's a tricky one at home. Then you're rewarded with the Stormers or La Rochelle, <laughs> so it's like, um, it's 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 a tough one. But like I think Leinster have been quietly impressive in some ways, where they haven't really blown teams away, like in 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 a super impressive fashion. Is wouldn't but, it, wouldn't it be fantastic to see Leinster you, versus La Rochelle again? Unreal, unreal. In the quarterfinals, yeah, that that oh, would be something. Oh my yeah. god, like it would be considering the last couple of finals and the group game they had, like I I think maybe Leinster fans would be like, we'd prefer not to have La Rochelle again, but I think everybody Ideally. outside Leinster <laughs> you probably I think wouldn't. Everybody, yeah, I think everyone outside Leinster, along with probably the tournament organizers themselves, are like, please God, let this happen. Cause like I don't know, I just feel like with with, with Leinster like I, I agree with you there that there's they're one of the three elite teams in Europe. There's three elite teams over the last I would say three or four years: La Rochelle, Toulouse, and Leinster. And Leinster don't seem like they're slipping out of that bracket anytime soon. So, yeah, just it, like it, they've they've got a tough draw I, off the back of it. I, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how they go because they'll get the tough games that I think they've often wanted in the build up to the to the final. Leinster are changed what they're doing though the change of coaching from Lancaster over to Neen Arbor and Goodman taking over attack has changed what they do and like they're they're nowhere near the attacking force that they were but their defensive system has stepped up hugely I think in in the bigger games that they've played the La Rochelle games and things like that in the in the pool stages and they, while they're not putting up the sort of the, the massive scores that they have done, particularly in the URC over the last couple of years, there seems to be more of a steal around it, um, certainly defensively. The only question mark that you would maybe ask around it is, is there enough of an attack there outside of the strike plays to get them through all the way That's towards Silverware? That's what see, I think, in, in that knockout series. Um like if they get to that quarterfinal, either Stormers or, or La Rochelle will really put it up to them defensively. And that's where we'll see with Leinster's defensive side of the ball has been fantastic. It's the it's the offensive side of the ball. That's what I'm looking to see now for the second half of the season. Can that go with the same level that the defense has? Now, again, I think we've spoken about this on other podcasts. You are what you train and it seems like Leinster at the moment are putting an awful lot of focus training hours week to week on getting the defense sorted and getting their set piece right. And that'll take you a long way in knockout rugby. But I think in Europe, it's slightly different from test rugby in that your attack is, it's it's more weighted towards attack in Europe, I feel. Because Leinster's defense was really good last season too. I think it's their offensive side of the ball that needs to improve. But who knows, once they hit the, after the post six nations, we could well see that happen. I was looking at the stats from from the Champions Cup games um, there today, and the one that stood out to me most was from um, the Leinster uh, Leicester game. Tigers would be known as one of the big kicking teams. They kick so heavily. Would Leinster actually outkick them both in terms of volume and in terms of distance? They nearly kicked for twice as much in terms of distance as Leicester did. It was like 662 metres for Leicester, 1,126 metres for Leinster. I'd say Steve Borswick that's where, like, I think in, that to me, in England camp, looking at that going, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> It's like it was an amazing stat for me that they they actually kick more, and for that level of distance, it's it's turning them into like that off ball team where it's like this, this they are thing. so happy to give the ball back and just defend 
defend, defend and try and win the ball back then from the opposition to get the penalty to kick to the corner to get into the red zone. If your defense is going to be that focused on the kind of the Nienaber, you know, overlapping cover, high edge blitz, you kind of have to kick the ball to get the most out of that because, you know, you can only impact the, 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 the opposition when you don't have the ball. So kicking long and kicking often brings the opposition right where you want them, which is just getting smashed over and over and over again. So that that's an, an interesting thing, actually, because it, it shows that to get the most out of what Nienaber brings, you have to limit your own phase play to a certain extent. So it's interesting to see Leinster have gone that direction and whether they'll stick with it, mm. you know, going forward for the rest of the season. Yeah, now uh, Leinster, as we said, are into quarterfinals to play Leicester again uh, in in Dublin to be confirmed, uh, whether it's the Aviva or the RDS. Um, but they do it, and then they potentially have, as we said, the, the winners of La Rochelle um, or Stormers after that. Moving on then uh, to Munster. Um, game myself and Tom Rat. Um, they lost, yeah, no. more, more woe. Um, <laughs> They lost 26-23. Um, a red card changed the game, I would say, for both sides in that it brought Northampton down to 14. The weather evened it up a bit and Munster lost uh, a lock and a line-out option that they couldn't afford to. Um, and then we get into the Munster in the last quarter. Standard thing for uh, discussion for this season where they... They don't have the power. They don't have the bench. They don't have the subs to bring on um, to make an impact. Um, and they were playing against the wind in the second half, I think, which, again, uh, Saints won the toss and played into the wind in the first half, um, which made it more difficult for Munster. What did you make of the game, Tom? This was a game about physics as much as anything else. Um, Munster did well in the first half. I would say, towards the last 10 minutes. Um, didn't kick very well, I would say, for the majority. Spent too much of that first half on the back foot. Um, so, again, I, I think that the 15-7 lead that they had at halftime, in the wind that was to come in the second half, that was a tough lead to defend, if that makes sense. Um the red card, and to be fair to Curtis Langdon, he's fronted up and said that, yeah, that, that was a red card. He's got his ban. Um, that did change a lot for Munster. Because again, with, with Tom O'Hearn out, that just changed the profile of the Munster pack. But second half, Saints were back up to eight forwards, I think, what, five minutes in uh, when there was a scrum. So with the wind and the rain that was there, which you wouldn't put a rat out into. It basically became eight on eight. So Northampton did a good job covering the backfield, but Munster couldn't really kick the ball either with the wind, the way it was, the way it was going. And then it just played out that Northampton bigger. They were better in the tight. They took their opportunities. Finn Smith and um, Alex Mitchell played incredibly well. I thought Craig Casey actually played really well also for the guts of 65 minutes. Um, and then when Munster needed a kick off the bench, a bit of impact, it wasn't there. No, I thought Brian Gleeson had a great game for a you know, 19-year-old. The carry he did on Girano Augustus was, again, freaky stuff. But I just felt that Munster, one, didn't kick well enough when we needed to. And then when it came time to, we're under pressure. It's eight versus eight out there. We need more tight power. We didn't have it. So it became difficult to retain the ball, which we needed to because we couldn't really kick it. And as a result, a really good Saints team with whatever about like the front five guys that were wheeling off the bench being world beaters or not. Big men. Yogan comes off the bench. He's 6'3", 120 kg. Elliot Miller-Mills, he's called up to the Scotland squad. Another big man. When you can't pass the ball really beyond nine, it comes down to physics, size, power. We were drained by that point. 
we didn't have the tight power to bring off the bench and ended up losing. And Northampton were really good. But Munster would be just gutted that they didn't manage that properly and see out the win that was absolutely there um, for them. And again, like as in, the weather conditions play a part. Munster's injury list plays a part. But they'll be disappointed with how they managed the first half in particular um, and spent too much of it on the back foot. And then that kind of echoed into the second half, even with the red card, because I think the red card didn't even become a factor in the game once the weather hit as we were there on, well, you, you got more of it than I did. But <laughs> the, the, the weather was um, made it basically into nine-man rugby. And that's where the game kind of evened up. And it's funny, so, some, someone mentioned the centres to me, Munster centres in that game in the second half. And I was kind of like, but if you look at Northampton centres in that second half, they just had to do the nuts and bolts. There was nothing flash like it was a 10-man game in that second half. And when it comes down to a 10-man game, size matters. But like, as disappointing as Munster's loss were, I really do think it would be um, wrong of us not to mention just how good Northampton were. Very like, good. They, they were so good. And like watching them two weeks ago against Bayonne, you're kind of watching them. It's difficult to get a grasp of how good they are, maybe, and how well they're going. Now, I know they're going well this season, don't get me wrong, but like, I don't see an awful lot of the Premiership. So, suddenly seeing them against Bayonne, it was kind of difficult to kind of get a grasp of, okay, how good are they? Because let's face it, Bayonne just might as well not have got off the plane. But Jesus, they were good. And Finn Smith, like, what a game he had. Oh my God, what a baller! Like, um, just good decision after good decision. But a lot of the time, Mitchell was just taking a lot of pressure off him as well and giving him a lot of time on the ball and making tough decisions too and executing them. So, I mean, Northampton to a T, like, fair juice to them. They absolutely... Courtney Laws. Oh, he's, a like freak. He he's a freak. Like, he's so good. Like, um, they're two, like, they're two starting locks as well. We're really physical and abrasive all the way through. Yeah, it's a like once they got the point they needed, they'll go through to the knockouts, etc. But a bit like maybe that first game against Leinster there earlier in the season, do you know, when you kind of look at it afterwards and you kind of go, there was a win there, no? A bit like Exeter, there was a win there, no? Maybe Bayon at home, there was a win there, no? And suddenly it's not a win. Um, and well, even I think time. it's I think it's also worth noting as well, just to point out that well, I, think, I criticised the the Champions Cup layout last year. That one win is enough for you to get through to the final sixteen. Um, I still feel that way, even though it's my team that's in it, and even though I don't know, like don't get me wrong, like I'm human, so a little bit of me is glad that it's enough for Munster to go through. I still don't think one win in your group stages should be enough to send you into the 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 last sixteen of an elite I competition. Agree. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I also think you look at Munster and Munster's form through the Champions Cup this season at home, a draw and a loss. That's that's just not acceptable for for Munster overall. There's reasons and everything behind behind it, but overall that's just not good enough. Um, and it shouldn't be good enough to get you into the knockouts. To me, that's that's just the, the simple facts. Um, so Munster will... We'll move on then, and they will actually go back and play uh, Northampton again, um, this time away in Northampton. So um, I think this will depend. It'll be much tougher, obviously, for Munster uh, traveling away. I I don't think that Munster will be afraid of playing Saints over there. I think that they will look at this game that they narrowly lost with the weather that was there and think we can have a right pop off these guys. If we can get one or two guys back fit, we can have a right crack off these fellas. That's going to be a really good round of 16 game. I think. I think for Munster, it's going to, it's going to depend on what comes out of the six nations. If they can, if Munster pick up like injuries to the likes of Ty Byrne, even Peter, Peter Romani, 
um, that sort of side, they're they're going to struggle. And Gra- uh, Jack Crowley as well. Like, um, that's that's going to be key. They're they're going to need the likes of Snyman back, um, at a minimum, and hopefully a couple of others, um, to to really have a, a chance. That realistically, though, it's probably prolonging the pain in in terms of the Champions Cup itself. Even if they win there, it's hard to see them going deep into the Champions Cup with the injuries that they've got this year. On the longer term, it's where you really that. miss the likes of of Jean Klein and, and not being able to have him with Snayman and then with a dog pole, maybe run a 6-2 split. I'm sure Munster would do something like that if they had all three of those guys available, but they don't, so they can't. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll move on then to the Six Nations, which kicks off uh, Saturday week, uh, or Friday week, actually, with... with um, France against Ireland. We'll do a full preview on that next week, but uh, we'll look at maybe some of the Six Nations, uh, some questions on the Six Nations squad and Andy Farrell and the Ireland team. So we'll start out with the loose head depth chart. So Porter is obviously the number one player um, and number one on the top of that uh, depth chart, and he's a very key player for Ireland. But what's coming behind him? Can who are say how long can Keen Healy stay on for as as number two within that? Does Jeremy Lockman um need to make himself or get himself into the match day twenty three um ahead of the summer tour to South Africa? What's the and what's the sort of the depth chart below that then? Um get you maybe to start with that one, Tom. I think for me, Andy Farrell is a big fan of Keane Healy. Um, and I think that it's going to take a... Uh, I'm not sure what it will take, actually, from Jeremy Lockman to get him in ahead of uh, of, of Healy at the moment for any serious game. Um, I suppose it comes down to trust. Um, I think with Lockman, this season he's shown that he's a reliable scrummager. Um, that's something that's really improved with him over the last couple of um, of seasons. He's a decent passer of the ball. I wouldn't say that he's as big a physical presence as maybe Keane Healy even is to this day. Um, but I suppose that's what the, the challenge for Lockman is, is to kind of start expressing that physicality when he can. And I think cause it's, it's fairly simple where it's Porter number one, probably the most important fell in that Irish front five. Then you're looking at Keane Healy, Lockman being close enough behind him. And then after that, um, there's lots of young prospects that are a good way off this level that they'll need to start upgrading pretty soon because they'll need options there. You know, the likes of Jack Boyle, the likes of Paddy McCarthy, if he sticks as as a loose head. These are all guys that they'll look at um, because again, I don't think there's a massive amount of guys at the moment who are putting the hand up, who are who are you know with that younger age profile. I think there's, I think, Keen Healy, are they going to keep him on as like they've done with Johnny Sexton until he barely can't walk anymore on the pitch, um. If they keep him on at Leinster and give him another year plus whatever it is on his contract, that hits into the game time, particularly for the likes of the younger guys coming through. Um, and I, I think that that eats into the development of where Ireland want to go with it. I do think it opens up potentially for um, uh, Connacht's uh, Dooley loose head. As maybe an, an, an intern to join in, because if you were to take the the three three loose heads at the moment, it's Porter, Healy, and Lockman. I think that could become um, Porter, Lockman, and maybe someone like Dooley short term until sort of Paddy McCarthy or or one of the other younger Leinster loose heads is able to come through um, on that. If we then look at the second row, there's four second rows in the Ireland squad at the moment. So it's um, James Ryan, Tyg Byrne, Ian Henderson, and Joe McCarthy. I'll give this one to you, Jeff. 
what do you see as the pecking order for that second row? Like McCarthy's getting lots of sort of deserved praise at the moment, but if he's to either start in the 23 or in the 15, who misses out? Yeah, it's a funny one because I saw your poll um, on Twitter. I think that if, so it really came down to two questions for me first off was if you're putting him into a starting team it's a case of how do you drop burn and how do you drop james ryan and for me you don't for me as well looking at like would you put him in a squad of 23 yes you would but are you going to put him in ahead of ian henderson i don't know to be honest and i think the only way to answer this and i sound like a real politician here now is but to see the mat training, to see what they're doing day in, day out. I don't think the glimpses we get in match day is enough to for us as fans to turn around and say like, oh, yeah, I would put him in here. Like, McCarthy is incredibly physical, like hugely, hugely physical. And I would say he is still giving away maybe a couple of too many penalties, but like so physical. And that's, I suppose, his game. That's the big part of his game. But like James Ryan can be physical. Tyg Byrne can win you a game. He'll turn over a ball on your five meter line. Ian Henderson has lots and lots and lots of little big moments. So how do you, you know, I, I just think it's a very difficult question to answer. Maybe that's why I don't want to answer it. But my pecking order would probably be James Ryan and Byrne start. And in terms of your, your what is it, number 19 I don't know maybe start leaning towards McCarthy um, to be honest but again I just don't know how you can turn around and say Henderson isn't producing either but I probably would lean towards McCarthy in that 23 with the burn and Ryan starting but I don't think McCarthy is going to oust burn or James Ryan anytime soon do you think we might see Ireland running a 6-2 split? I Very rare. Very rare. And I think if they do run a 6-2 split, I don't think that it will be four second rows, like in total in the 23. I think you'll see maybe another, I think you'd see, just see another back rower. I just don't see, unless like you drop Burn and then have him as that hybrid. But I think that's probably a place for you might have a McCarthy, a Conan and a Baird, maybe. Yeah, I just, I just think that with the physicality that, that Joe McCarthy with... brings, I, I think that they'll they'll want to keep him involved in that way because the physicality he brings, even with the rawness that's there, that kind of stuff helps you win big test matches against big physical teams. So I, I think they'll be they'll be keen to keep him involved and get him involved quickly. I agree with that. I, th I think he'll be in the 23 um, to face France. And I think it becomes a question then, I th and leads on to the next question, actually. Do you adjust the back row to help him get in there at some point? In that you do sort of um, move Byrne back to six to bring him on and take Omani off or do you move Omani even across the seven and put Byrne at six so you're playing a different back row um, and if we move on to the back row then you know it's for Andy Farrell the four immovable objects in the back row when they've been fit has been Peter Omani Josh van der Fleer Doris and Conan they have been the four so now I think the question is has Baird done enough to break into that or should he adjust his lock pairings to allow someone like Byrne move back to six and move Omani across to accommodate the likes of McCarthy and by making Omani captain has he limited what he can potentially do there and the impact this has I'll go I to you on that you one my thoughts. oh sorry my thoughts on this were actually they're they're twofold. The first one was 
Um, I didn't expect Peter Romani to be named captain of the Ireland team. I'm not sure if anybody did really. Um, so my thoughts of, with that in mind were that Ireland would start to move beyond Peter Romani, this Six Nations, with a view to getting the likes of Baird in and guys like that and seeing if they can run that jersey and change up how that role is used. Peter Romani is a great player, a fantastic player. But I, I, like that, that was my thoughts beforehand. And now with Peter Romani as captain, he kind of has to start, I presume. Um, not every squad captain has to start, of course, but I would presume it means now that he is. So I think that does limit, to a certain extent, what can be done in his back five bills. That's why I'm thinking that a 6-2 split might be something that we might see more of from Ireland, because it would give you that maneuverability and allow you to, I think especially against the bigger teams, um, I think that's that's something that Ireland might adjust to, to you know, to keep up that physicality. Um, I think looking at um, Baird and guys like that, I think he's been playing really well. And you look at the likes of McCarthy as well, how physical he's been. I think they'll one hundred percent all be involved. But I think when it comes to you know Omani's role in that back five, he can play that six role. He can play that seven role. Um, but he kind of has to start now, right? Like, as the captain, like, he, he yeah. has to start. I think O'Mahony starts, and we talked about this there last week, um, myself and Owen did. I don't see how you leave out Josh van der Fleer either. So I think That's it's it. O'Mahony, Josh van der Fleer, and Doris. They're your six, seven, eight. And I think the only back row spot that's up for grabs is going to be that bench back row spot. And again, it's probably either Conan or maybe Baird. And if they go 6-2, there's another opportunity. But if you're starting back row, O'Mahony's in for me as captain. You don't drop a Josh van der Fleer. Um, certainly not yet anyway. And, um, well, Doris is, uh, like, couldn't be more nailed on. I'd agree. I think it's Conan, Conan against Baird for the for the bench spot and I think based on where Andy Farrell has gone and the loyalty he's shown I think Baird misses out based on that um, going on then to the scrum half um, does Murray keep his closer position at nine or because Crowley has been moved up uh, to be the main man at ten does that bump Casey up the pecking order a bit more Tom, what do you reckon? Um, I think that he'll still keep Gibson Park as a starter. I think depending on what Murray is up to from July will play a big factor as well. Um, I think Farrell is, again is very, very loyal. He likes what Murray gives him off the bench. But again, I think that he's also a big fan of cohesion and keeping units together. So I think it's probably, you know, Crowley being, we assume, the starter at 10 can only be a good thing for Casey. Uh, it can only increase his prospects. I think as well that they might like it as well, the the pace and tempo that Casey is bringing to his passing game and how that might help this Irish team going forward, where I think we've seen Murray play the closer quite well. Um, but I think that this Irish team now and afford to speed up as the game ends. Because I think, you know, with Johnny Sexton as the main guy, the tempo more or less stay the same. Um, with Crowley, and maybe they'll, they, maybe will he do the full 80? Will they switch him with a Frawley or a Harry Byrne? Who knows? But there's no reason why this Irish team shouldn't be able to harness the likes of Craig Casey off the bench. That to me could be something that could really work for this team. Um, but I would agree in, in, that if Crowley is the de facto number one guy, which again, we don't know for certain, but if he is, that's got to be good news for Craig Casey. And I'll go to this one with you, Jeff. If Murray is picked within the 23 fairly consistently through the Six Nations, does that create another Peter O'Mahony contract situation whereby Murray is needed by Ireland is coming off a central contract, but if he's not going to be kept, 
do Munster necessarily invest heavily in a non-starter for them? I think it's not the same because simply I think the captaincy role changes things completely. Like I think if you have a guy who's second choice um, coming, uh, you know, close-ish to the end of his career, etc., uh, coming off a central contract, not your international captain, sometimes not even Munster starting nine, essentially. I don't think it's in the same boat as the Peter O'Mahony thing at all. I think it's um, a case of maybe... Were, were you asking, does he get a central contract or a Munster contract? Do you think he'll get... Well, which one do you think he'll get or would he be left go? Yeah. Um, maybe a, a Roland Munster one, to be honest. I don't know. To be honest, I'm not like... I'm not the great contract talker on this show out of the three of us, to be honest. But like, I just think if you're not an international captain, you're not a starter like you're not even a provincial starter all that often anymore it's um yeah like it's as cruel as it sounds it's a business isn't it like that's to be all and end all it has to make sense and I, think that's what it, I think that's what it comes I think that's what it comes down to is economics is like Murray still has a very good market rate I would imagine in, ter- in terms of um, his value overall, maybe not necessarily with, within Ireland. I think he's second for Ireland, but obviously is plays an important role bringing the experience. He's Ireland's greatest scrum half, I think, without much doubt. Um, but he's second with Ireland. If he's coming off a contract, I think this is a case of if the IRFU need him or want him, they're going to have to get him onto a con on keep him on a central contract. Because similar to Omani, I don't see Munster paying big money out of their budget for him. I don't think there's a need for it. I think they have uh Casey, they have enough backup in the likes of uh Patterson and some of the young guys coming through that they that they'll feel that they can cover that and it's not an area that they'll necessarily want to spend huge money on. Um, and I think Murray, particularly the way he plays and he can control a game, his physicality, etc., he could be um, sought after in 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 the top fourteen for um, a team that likes to play off nine, play heavy off nine. I think he'd be very good at that and could have offers there. I do see a situation where again he might be let go, and Munster may have to make that deci- uh, difficult decision. Um, I'll come to you, Tom, on this one then. Who exactly is the backup for Keenan at fullback? Are they going to get game time in a green jersey in this Six Nations? And does Stockdale's performance against Quinns really impact his chances of doing uh, of um, getting that chance in the green jersey? I think the backup to Hugo Keenan is a slightly injured Hugo Keenan. And the backup to that Hugo Keenan is, are you sure you can't play Hugo? Like, are you properly sure? Um, he's just a, probably our most important back at this stage. Um, he just brings so much, it, like elite defensive coverage. His kicking, his attacking game is fantastic. Um, it's kind of hard to know how you replace a guy like that because ultimately Ireland haven't really had to. You know, like he's got a really good injury record, like knock on wood. Um, but I suppose the guy would have been Jimmy O'Brien, but he's out as well now. Um, and again, I think we've seen that like covering at fullback isn't necessarily as easy as well. You're all kind of wingers, really, right? <laughs> like Hugo Keenan's breakdown work is so important, right? So important to what Ireland do. So you need somebody who can replace that aspect of it as well. Um, so it's 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 really tough because like it's kind of hard to see who the natural successor there is because like there was you know talk about Simon Zebo, but like Simon Zebo doesn't bring the same level of of breakdown coverage at all. Like he's a different type of player to Hugo Keenan. Just because they both wear fullback or fifteen on their back doesn't mean that they're um, 
doesn't mean that they're the same guys. And I think that for Ireland, it really is, look, we just hope that he doesn't get injured. That would just be really handy if that was the case. Because, like, you could say that, look, can Jack Crowley cover fullback? Yeah, he could. Uh, Kieran Frawley has done that recently for, for Leinster, so he could bring something there as well. I'm just looking at the guys who did Mike Calvin Nash, you know, has played fullback for Ireland or for Munster, but I wouldn't say he fits the, the profile there. As you said there, Jacob Stockdale could possibly do it. He's got a big boot, big left boot that they like as well. Um, but again, different type of guy doesn't bring the and the thing is, as we've seen with the fullback, it's very important what they bring, what their profile is to the attacking system overall. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go. I think Kieran Frawley might be the guy that they look at to give coverage there. And Jordan Larmour is a possibility as well. But I think Kieran Frawley is the closest fit to what Hugo Keenan brings as opposed to Larmour, who's a different type of guy. So, yeah, I just think it's going to be, it's either Hugo Keenan, slightly injured Hugo Keenan, really injured Hugo Keenan, probably shouldn't be out there. And then they look at, you know, Kieran Frawley. I think. I think it's probably Mac Hansen. Oh, long term, but isn't he injured for the Six Nations? Oh, sorry. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Em- embarrassing. Like, Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in. So it's Hugo Keenan. Injured um, Hugo Keenan. Injured Mac Hansen. Potentially Kieran Frawley, and then we'll just call Mac Hansen and uh, Hugo Keenan again just to make sure they're definitely injured. Just, are you just sure, just Hugo? Just just are you sure guys. you can't? Double checking. Yeah. Are you sure you're okay? Are you sure? You, are you sure you can't give us? Are you sure you can't give us fifty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A good, a good ten minutes. Like, that's all we need. It'd be, like, it'll be like lining out for like you know when you get the call back up for junior rugby. It's like, listen, we won't even start you. Just sit in the bench. We won't play you unless you need it. And then you rock up and it's like, yeah, listen, you're starting. With 12 players. Look, yeah. All we, all we need is the first half. That's all. Bring you off at half. Time. half. It was one half. It was one half. Yeah. Um, right. And we'll end on this one then. Uh, given Farrell has leaned so heavily on the Leinster cohesion uh, to make Ireland successful, how do the changes that Neen Aber has implemented impact Ireland and maybe particularly around um, Easterby and the defensive system? Do you think we'll see changes in this Six Nations or will the, the, the players have to sort of adapt back to what Easterby has been doing? Can I jump in on that one? Jeff on that. Oh, yeah. yes. Um, I think when you look at Ireland's defensive system, they are one of the most disciplined and, in terms of cards, clean defences in the world. I know they lost in the World Cup, etc. But, like, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, Easterby's defensive system in last year's Six Nations was incredible. And in terms of their discipline in open play, like offside penalties, I'd say offside penalties rarely, rarely happen for Ireland. Um, in terms of cards, in 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 the grand scheme of things, they re- they Ireland rarely get a card. So I think that you stick like I don't think Easterby is going to look at Leinster and go, oh, that's what Nina Barr is doing. Okay, we'll change the system to reflect that. I think it's a case of well, our system won as a grand slam last year. I know what we're doing. We're going to continue with our own system. I don't think he can be seen to go, oh, well, what are Leinster doing? Oh, yeah, that's what we're doing now. I don't think that Simon Easterby is his own man. He's his own coach. Like, he's not going to um, just double down on, well, you know, because you might send us over a few PDFs there, Jacques. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> be nice if it could, though, yeah. Maybe, maybe call him up to camp, get him to see what he thinks of the system, have a look around, kick the tires a bit. He's got wearing a big cowboy hat with a with a with a little hole in there. It looks like a camera. It's just like <laughs> you're not going to send this to Razzy, right? <laughs> What's that whirring sound? <laughs> oh. 
We'll uh, round it up there, folks. Thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting the podcast. Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen to, as it really helps. And also be sure to share the podcast on social media. Also be sure to give us a, a follow on social media. It's at Three Red Kings for Tom, uh, at Over the Hill Prop for myself, and at The Loose H for Jeff. Hope you all have a good week, and the three of us will be back next week to chat again. <laughs>